A reading from Genesis 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning, the first day. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome. And it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning, the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together in one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. There was evening, and there was morning, the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. They will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller, night to, smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them. Be fertile and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. God made humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, the word of the Lord. 
Welcome everyone to Church Online. My name is Kevin Bates and I am so thankful that each one of you are joining us today. Wherever you are at, my prayer is that today and this teaching would be a transformative experience for you. Not just today, but every time that you tune in. We're going to take communion at the end of my teaching time, and so we do this each and every week during our main broadcast. So if you right now want to prepare those elements to take communion at the end, we would welcome that. Our mission as a gathering is to love like Jesus, and our goal is to be an online community that loves like Jesus. And all of our teaching points to that main goal and is built on these core values. Number one, daily devotion. Two is prayer. Three, gaining freedom from strongholds. Four is serving the communities in which we live. Five is sacrificial generosity. Six is sharing and knowing our stories. And seven is celebration. And I believe that during this time, the seventh one is really important, that we need to learn to celebrate well together. Yet all seven of those core values, when you enrich those in your life, My prayer is that you would learn to love like Jesus more. So today we are beginning the journey through the Bible, teaching on the best stories ever. And today's topic is the foundations of purpose. And my hope for our time together would be that we would learn to connect to God's word in a real way, that our biblical literacy would increase, of course, and that we would learn how much Jesus loves us. But ultimately, our goal through it all is as we know that Jesus loves us, that we would be motivated to love others. So some of us feel and are experiencing a distance in faith. And if this is you, I want you to know that you are not alone. You can connect with us. We want to pray with you. And so if you want to, we desire you to connect into our website and send us a message and we can connect with you back and pray for you and answer any of your questions. My prayer for you is that we would grow in a deep sense of like and love for God's word in his church, and in this case, people and our online community. So we want you to please stay tuned for some of the upcoming changes and inclusions of our online community as it develops. There's going to be different aspects of this, and so look forward to that in our response messaging. So let's get into this today. Genesis and the word Genesis means the beginning or the source. And in the source, God uses the word tov. And in English, this is translated as good. Yet Hebrew has so much nuance and beauty to the language and different ideas and meanings to the different words. And so a better translation for the word tov would be beautiful. So God in the source in chapter one, as we just heard, God said it was good. And it really means that God said it was beautiful. So remember that the purpose of the book of Genesis is to give us a picture of heaven on earth, and it's not to tell us how the heavens go. So using Genesis as a historical analysis would be irresponsible and making things up about the book of Genesis that's not there would also be irresponsible as well. So declaring that God's creation is beautiful is right where the poem of Genesis 
uh, is. And, and truly, it is beautiful, and we need to take care of it and preserve it as well. So in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I see in the beginning, right at verse 1, that in the beginning there is life. And the Hebrew word for the beginning in the Bible is bereshit. And bereshit literally means the primary event. And so in verse 1, in the primary event, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, no one really knows the exact age of the earth, and that's not the point that God is trying to make in the first chapter of Genesis. He called to existence the beautiful things of the universe, and it says, in the beginning, the bare sheet, in the primary event, God. In the primary event, God. So the Bible is concerned with who made the earth, not necessarily how the earth was made. So who made the earth is the primary character, the primary event creator, the one that's at the center of the heavens and the earth, which is God. So in the beginning, God created all of nature, including us. So God gave us form, God gave us life, and in Genesis, we see that God gave us purpose, form, life, and purpose. And that's what this Hebrew poem, Genesis 1 through 3, is talking about. So knowing our purpose is important. It's crucial to live an effective life. And the first three chapters of Genesis definitely show us our purpose, why we exist, and who we are living for. So we ask these questions right at the beginning, and we all have asked them, what is all this universe that's around us? Uh, we look around asking, what is this creation I see? We look deep within creation, even at the microscopic level, and we are wowed and in awe about how creation works and where did the world come from and how did it come into being and where did it all begin and how did it begin and who did it all? We ask those questions constantly in science and also in philosophy and religion, but immediately after all of those questions, usually the question, why am I in it? Why am I in this universe? Why was I created? What was I created for? Those are the questions that we usually ask right after those scientific or the how and the what questions are asked. So Romans 1.20 gives us some insight. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature, those are his invisible qualities, power and nature, have been clearly seen because they are understood through the things God has made. So humans are without excuse. So science and observation, looking at nature by itself, you can discover God um, by that alone. We see the ominous universe and everything in it, and we experience the immediate and great responsibility of, wow, this is an amazing place, and we need to take care of it and preserve what was created. I encountered God once in a lab 
in a natural history lab that I took care of in my first experience of college. And this natural history lab had the bones and the stuffed animals and had all of the natural history charts and maps that we would study of, of evolution. And I took great care of this library because I cared about basically life, but I didn't experience life until I dissected a beaver. A beaver is a big animal and can be big and grow to large size. And in ancient history, there are giant beavers, uh, a part of the basically the dinosaur age, where we, we have these humongous animals, like, like huge, small elephant-sized beavers, if you could imagine such a thing, the giant beaver. But I had a small beaver, and I was dissecting and basically skinning and looking at the muscle structure of the beaver. And when I opened that beaver up, as disgusting as that may sound, cutting an animal open and looking at a muscle structure, I was literally in awe about how complicated, complex, and intricate that muscle structure was. Another time that I experienced life was when I held my first daughter in Thailand for the first time. I saw her when we went through our adoption with Nataya. My second child with Kamita, I experienced the same thing when I held her for the first time in Thailand. It's an experience of life. When you come in and encounter life in such a magnificent and profound way, you can't help but take a step back and stand in awe. And that just proves that the, the emotion that that creates and the eye-opening experience that, 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 I, that I had, nature and people are important. Nature and people are important. We look at human beings and the beauty of human beings that God created, and it's our responsibility to bring importance to people, to treat people fairly, to treat people with love and equality, and to not only treat people with love and equality, but to find ways to treat people with love and equality that have not been in the past treated with love and equality. It's our responsibility as human beings to uphold human life, to consider all life as importance, but also that then that goes into nature. It is our responsibility to uphold nature as well. Both are told to us in scripture and we have covenant analysis, we have covenant making by God that we are called to hold life, whatever life is, we're, we're called to hold that life sacred in our purpose. So that is our first foundation, is to uphold life. But then I see in Genesis 1, starting in verse 3, in 6, in verse 9, in verse 14, in verse 20, in verse 24, verse 26. You heard it all just now. And it says, and God said. That's how each day started in Genesis 1. It's the most striking thing that I see in, Gen in the first chapter of, of Genesis. God spoke and things existed. God spoke things into 
existence, and that's the power of God. That's the creativity of God. That's what God did. God said it, and it happened. So everything was created basically from nothing. And in Latin, ex nihilo means created out of nothing. So God used his words. God used his word to create everything you see all the way to the edges, if there, can, if there is, edges to, of the universe. So it's easy for me to go into my home and rearrange the furniture or clean out the garage and reorganize my life in my home. Uh, it's a lot harder to create something without supplies and tools. And that's the power and the creativity of God. The things that we see in nature, even us as human beings, the image of God, God created all of this around us with his minds by speaking it into, into existence. So everything you see is an expression of the creative mind of God. It's not just an interesting fact. It's not just a tidbit of knowledge. It's an expression. It's an expression of the divine to you and I, the creative mind and the power of God. God said land and there was land. God said water and ocean and there was a separation of the land and water existed. God said tiger and there's a tiger. God said okra and that's disgusting. But God said human, God said human and there we came. We became human. Everything is an expression of the creative and powerful mind of God. It's the supernatural power of God. God spoke and therefore it existed. God's word then is powerful and wise. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16, it says this, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. And so every time I read the Bible, I'm inspired. Every time I read the Bible, I'm motivated to live a better life, a more Christ-like life. Every time I share the story of God with somebody else, I feel and experience more confidence and new life in my faith. And so God's word started each and every day of creation and started life. And so I believe God's word is important. And that's the second foundation of our purpose is to uphold the word of God. Not only are we to uphold life but we're also in our purpose to uphold God's word. But then in Genesis, it says it was good. God spoke it, it existed, and in the end of the day, he said it was good. So God ended the day with affirmation and, and thankfulness. He looked at creation and said, this is awesome. And you have to agree with me that the most attractive people on earth are those that just exude thankfulness. The critical spirits or the naysayers and the negative people that, and including myself and that character in myself, is not a very, uh, it's not a very attractive attribute. So the most attractive character that we can have is, is those that know how to affirm. It's that character that knows how to be 
thankful. Now, around my table at night, uh, we have dinner at 6.30 every night, like clockwork, unless it burns and we have to go for takeout, right? And around that table, uh, we have this time of affirmation and thankfulness. We say, what are you thankful for today? It's a tradition. Sometimes it seems a little mechanical. Sometimes it seems a little forced. Sometimes we have to fake it till we make it because there's not a lot to be thankful for that day. Yet the years that we've done it, it's a constant reminder to me that, that no matter what, I can declare something that I'm thankful for. No matter what, at least God is good. No matter what, God's creation and what I experience at some point during the day, I always have something to be thankful for. So in the end, God created all of these things. And in the end of the day, he said, he affirms it. He rejoices with it. He takes a minute, he steps back, and he looks at all that he spoke into existence, and he rejoices, and he declares that it's good. He declares that it's beautiful. So the question I have, it's a really important question, is are you thankful for the work that you're doing? Are you thankful for your day? Are you thankful at moments? Sometimes life is really, really hard. And sometimes you get to the afternoon and you feel like just going to bed. Sometimes you feel like going to bed when five minutes after you wake up. By the end of the day, do you feel guilt, shame, or gratefulness for your day? I know there's a lot of guilt. I know there's a lot of hurt. I know that there's a lot of shame. But could we practice maybe a spiritual discipline of thankfulness? That at the end we would say, it is good. This is good. This is beautiful. And for that, I am thankful. When you are thankful for specific things, when you are thankful for human beings, that is a tangible act of love. Maybe, uh, maybe just the mere fact that we say thank you to another person that could be their tangible act that they experience and know love. And that's one of my final principles here, the foundations of purpose, is that our thankfulness would be uh, translated into love, that we would be able to articulate thankfulness and affirmation and beauty and rejoice in such a way that the world would know that they are loved. In 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 4, it says this, Through his honor and glory, he has given us his precious and wonderful promises, that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith, and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, endurance, and to endurance, godliness, and to godliness, affection for others, and to affection for others, love. So may we be this kind of people, the people that uphold life, the people that uphold God's word, and a people that live by joy, thankfulness, and love. All this so that people would know Jesus and find eternity. So with that in mind, I want to transition into our communion time. And when Jesus was at the end of his life on earth, he sat around a table with his friends. 
and he offered some bread, and he offered some wine. Now, this was just a tradition of gathering together and eating, and there would have been bread, and there would have been wine at the table. And he took this bread, and he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took this wine, and he said, this is the new covenant which is in my blood, do this in remembrance of me. Now, bread is made out of grain that has been crushed, added water, added salt, and then fired over the flames in an oven. Wine is made from grapes that have been crushed, put in new wineskins, and aged in time. Jesus died on the cross, and his body crushed. Yet he is also the living water, as he declares, that gives us life. And he is the true salt of the earth that gives us the truth. He tells us that we are the church. We have the new covenant. We are the new deal for the ages to come. And we have the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that during this moment, you would just think about Jesus on the cross, yet Jesus in the tomb, Jesus resurrected, but Jesus' promise before he ascended, he said, I will come back and I will come back for you. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus. Take the bread and eat and take the juice or wine that you have at home and drink. Father, thank you for this moment that we can walk through your scriptures today. I pray that we would be people that uphold life, that we would be people that know and uphold your word, and that we would be people that are thankful, live in joy, and love. Lord, help us to be that kind of people this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. God bless.